So, the title of the sermon today, A King and His Kingdom. I'll let you guess what that's going to be about. But first, we'll start with prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your sovereignty that you woke us up today and that you also brought the sun to begin our day. We thank you that you didn't leave us to our own devices, but you have sent help after help through your word and through your church and through your Holy Spirit that you have never neglected us, but have been a good father who's actively enthralled in our lives, seeking to to delight in us and for us to delight in you. Pray that you would uh, weigh heavy on our hearts today. I pray that we would feel convicted but we would also feel encouraged and hopeful. And that ultimately, Lord, today, especially on your Lord's Day, as the first fruits of our week, you would be glorified. So bless this message, bless the worship later, and bless Greg's message at 1030 and the fellowship afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen. So... We got a working clicker now, which is awesome. So we're going to go talk about the outline here. We're going to kind of talk about these two parts. You know, it's very clear in the title that there's two parts, the king and his kingdom. Um, So we're going to describe those two parts, but then we're going to describe how they are connected and how they... um, work together, and and this lovely phrase that that we've heard so often from Greg, that they're inextricably intertwined. And if you're wondering about inextricably intertwined, it basically means they're, you can't separate them, okay? So it's a great word. So let's go ahead and get started talking about the kingdom of God. So to start out with the kingdom of God, I think it would be fruitful for us to give some background to heaven itself. Because, you know, a a lot of times in our evangelical Christianity here in the West, in America especially, you know, we have so many misconceived ideas. We hear kingdom of God and the first thing we think of is heaven, um, which is part of the kingdom of God, but not all of it, right? Right. one of my favorite things I delight in is teaching the Sunday school with the, the pre-readers and hearing them go through catechisms and questions that, you know, they understand a lot of things that, you know, I'd say some pastors in America don't even get. <laughs> and they're three and four and five. Like, they get this. You know, I ask them, where's the kingdom of God? And, and they'll say, it's like, where the king rules. They get it. But I th- also think we have a, you know, a big wrong idea about what's special about heaven itself. Um, you know, that's the thing that we all long for, right? It's better, better that we be in heaven, right? Um, and we have a lot of wrong ideas about it. You know, I think there's that famous song, I don't know if you guys remember, about uh, my father's house. 
it's a big, big house, right? With lots and lots of room, right? Or, you know, we talk about how it's lined with streets of gold and we're like, oh, heaven's gonna be sweet. It's just gonna be like, we're gonna kick back and relax in our uh, beanbag chairs and <laughs> drink smoothies or something. I don't know like what you think heaven's gonna be like, but you, you know, it's still in a lot of our hearts, it's self-centered what we hope heaven will be like. Um, and I think that sums back to a lot of reasons why people don't, you know, I hear a lot of people who say they believed they were, they grew up Christian, right? And they tell me that they didn't, and they never enjoyed church. I was like, well, of course you didn't enjoy church. From what you told me, it doesn't sound like you were actually a Christian. You know, heaven's going to look a lot like the Lord's day. It's going to look a lot like uh, what makes us enjoy the Lord's day. And if you don't enjoy the Lord's day, you're not going to enjoy heaven. So you should talk to God about that <laughs> and ask him to make you enjoy the Lord's day. Like if you're the last one in, you're stumbling in to church, you know, in the middle of the 1030 service because you weren't that excited about getting up. Um, you're going to be the lot, like stumbling into heaven, like thinking, man, I'm really not that excited about heaven. <laughs> like if you don't want to be here worshiping with, with the saints, well, bad news, that's eternity in heaven. <laughs> All right, so heaven, what's it look like? Um, so we see uh, a lot of pictures of heaven. The first one I like to point out is Isaiah 51, 11. Um, we see joy, gladness, and no sorrow. Isaiah 51, 11 says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That sounds a lot better as I go on in life than streets of gold. We're also going to have glorious bodies. Philippians 3:20 through 21 says, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body." by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Then we're going to see lots of praise and worship. You know, Luke 2, 13 through 14 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who him he is pleased. Like, that's going to be what we're spending most of our time doing in heaven, is like worshiping God. You know, you talk about, um, I believe it's the Heidelberg Catechism. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if you can't begin that here on earth, you're not going to want to do it for eternity. But ultimately, the, the thing that's most exciting about heaven, the thing we'll get to enjoy the most, isn't just the joy and gladness, the lack of sorrow, the, the re 
you know, glorious bodies or, or whatever it is. It's, it's God's presence himself. Right? So in Psalm eleven seven it says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's hard for us to conceive right now because we only see him in part, right? We haven't seen his face. Even, you know, I'm recalled to the, the story of Moses where he was hidden a rock and Christ's hand went over the rock so he wouldn't see his face because he knew that he couldn't handle it. Can you imagine such a glorious face that our humanly bodies, our humanly, you know, sinful flesh can't handle it? But we'll be in heaven and be face to face with God. That's so cool. You know, it's it's like like marriage, there's, you know, when you're just dating, you, there's a, a level of intimacy you don't have, and that's right, and that's good. And God adorned it that way so that when you are married, you get to have this level of intimacy that's, like, unfathomable. You know, you can make jokes that previously felt like they would be inappropriate, but now it's, it's awesome to make this joke with your wife. You know, like, it, it's... It's so great to just, I mean, it's serious. Like, it's, you know, you're only, you're getting a level of intimacy here on earth that's not what it's going to be in heaven. But it's a taste of it. If you don't like the amount of intimacy you have with God here, you're not going to like the amount of intimacy you'll have with him in heaven. I'll tell you that. If you don't want to let God know your innermost you know, secrets, if you don't want to be who you are in front of God, then now, then you won't want to in heaven. I'll tell you that. You know, it's like, you know, back to the marriage thing, it's like, if you're not willing to share parts of you, share secrets of, of yourself with someone you're courting, um, you're definitely not going to want to get married because you're going to have to share everything if you want it to work. So it's, it's a big deal. We're going to see God in heaven, like fully his face. That's awesome. So, so now we got an idea of heaven, right? Um, and then I'm going to get to that part where, you know, I, I said that the kingdom of God isn't just in heaven. Okay. And that even the kids get this, right? Because we, you know, you just talk about a king, you're like, is the king's kingdom just in his castle? No. <laughs> it's wherever he rules, right? It's a very simple concept. But we'll see that through scripture here. So heaven on earth, right? God's kingdom is pouring out, right, even as we speak on earth. In fact, that's what we've been enlisted to, is to spread his kingdom, spread his dominion, be his, his agents of change, his messengers to proclaim to people that he is Lord. 
Psalms 103:19 says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, right? So he's got his, his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. So he's king over all. That's very important to get. And that leads us to why Christ would say in Matthew 10, or Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like if we don't want God ruling over us now, we shouldn't be praying this prayer. But Christ commanded us to pray like this. He's not saying that we have to follow these exact words every time we pray. You know, there's not a certain amount of times we have to pray for it to kick in or whatever. He's saying that this is the pattern. This is the heart you should have. You should have the heart of wanting God's will, his kingdom, his will and his kingdom are the same thing. Wanting that to invade earth. Saying, Lord, we are lost without your rule So bring it. We are terrible at being our own kings. Come and give us your commandments. Because his commandments are life-giving. You know, following his ways, knowing his word, that's going to save us. Because it goes against our nature. And our nature is destructive. Our nature is leading us to death. And you can see that he's, after this, he says, give us this day our daily bread, saying, Lord, we totally rely on you, king, to provide us with sustenance, with food, with manna from heaven. We rely on you for everything. You know, who was it up to when the Egyptians were having famine? It wasn't up to... Uh, some random guy on the street corner, it was up to the king to feed the people. Like, who would have the foresight? Who would have the, the, you know, the saved up grain for us to eat? Probably someone super wise and in charge. The person who's, who's literally taken it upon himself to say, I'm responsible over this whole nation. The king will have my back. Right? So they're, they're saying we, we rely on you, God. Forgive us our debts. We've sinned against you, Lord. We need your forgiveness. You, against you and you alone have we sinned. And say, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Like, this is an image of people that aren't just saying, your will be done. They actually kind of have an idea of what his will is. (laughs) That we would be delivered from temptation. That we would forgive and be forgiven and rely on him. And that we would attribute all power and glory to him. That's what, what we're asking for when we ask for his will. So it's here on earth, right? It's wherever he rules. 
That's where the kingdom of God is. It's not just in heaven. So, we're going to talk about the fruit. And I chose this word, vestments of heaven. Uh, I don't know if you... A vestment is like, you know, similar to investment. It's a, a, a giving of something to say, trust me that I'll give you the rest. Okay? It's like when you're buying a house, you give a vestment to say, I'm real about this offer to buy this house. I'm serious. I'll pay the rest if you accept my offer. Right? So I've got an analogy here to kind of explain what it looks like between heaven and earth and God's kingdom. Um, so it's like when you buy a home, you, you buy it, and then it's yours, right? Or like when you're a king and you conquer a land, the second you win in battle, that land is yours, okay? It's an, it's an instantaneous thing, right? Heaven's on earth now. Like God's in control of it right now. He is Lord of all of the earth, okay? But it takes a while for that home to look and feel like it's yours, right? It doesn't, that doesn't happen in an instant. You know, I've, I've been to people's houses that still have boxes there from after they moved two years ago. <laughs> you know, it takes a while before you settle in. You know, you've got to remove the pests. You've got to paint the walls. You hang up pictures. You, and even one day, you, you'll even get your own distinct smell <laughs> that everyone will recognize when they come to your house, Right? whether it's based on what kind of food you eat most of the time or, or, you know, what kind of laundry detergent you use or whatever it is. You know, like, I can still remember my grandma, what my grandma's house smelled like because it was very lived in. <laughs> she was settled at that point. But it's the same in a kingdom. You know, the king, he instantly wins the battle, and it's his kingdom, but it takes a while for it to start to look like his kingdom. As time goes on, the subjects begin to act his way, act the way of the king and things like that. You know, there's some, this crazy thing I was, I was reading about a, a tribe in South America. Um, they're still cannibals. And get this, they speak Spanish. Right? They, like this tribe of like 20 people who are cannibals in South America who, are, who had never seen a white person in their life speak Spanish because so long ago the Spanish came in and it's been so long that their culture has taken over. Their language has become the language of that country. That's crazy. That's what it looks like when, when heaven is invading earth, when, when God's kingdom is coming, the way we speak on earth is going to look more and more like God's speech. Everyone's going to be affected, whether they like it or not, whether they're hidden in, a, in the corner of the world or not. You know, those, 
small tribes of 20 people will know God's commandments. <laughs> That's what's happening on earth. And you can see that in the way we, we talk. And, and, you know, if you ask most experts, uh, they would say, like even secular experts will say this is the most peaceful time in history. You know, we get all this news about, you know, violence and, and war and stuff like that, but it's just we're, we've got a better ability to show news. You know, you talk about um, what they consider the Pax Romana, or the, the, like this time of really great peace in Rome where there wasn't really any wars, right? But that's kind of deceiving because what they were doing to prevent wars is killing a bunch of people. Every second you tried to uprise, it was, you know, you talk about France during the revolution and the guillotine, like, that's insane. That wasn't that long ago. Like, God's clearly changing the earth to look more like him and look like his kingdom, to look like heaven. So I want to talk about these vestments of heaven. So, so if God's promised us heaven, right? He's promised us that the pure in heart will, will see his face. He's promised all these really great things. And he doesn't just leave us there with a promise. He leaves us with, with vestments. He, he shows us what that's going to look like. It may be marred or cloaked by our sin and our flesh, these things, and where we don't live them out perfectly, but he shows us them nonetheless because he loves us and wants to show us what heaven's going to look like. So one of these things is, is he shows us, he gives us conviction, right? Because what do we talk about heaven? Heaven is, has righteousness. You're in the presence of God. You're perfect, perfectly righteous. So that means there's no sin. And he gives us conviction so that we would repent and have no, less sin in our lives, right? <laughs> to show us what that looks like, to show us what righteousness looks like, he shows us that we aren't righteous. <laughs> he could have just left us to our own devices to sin. But no, he gave us his, his commandments. He convicted us with the Holy Spirit. He taught us what repentance looks like. And, and he shows us, he gives us sanctification. He gives us character building. He lets us become more patient and harder workers. You know, if you're, if you're not worried about your character, your character's probably not improving. And you probably I, haven't had a glimpse of heaven yet. Because I know that, you know, I struggle with my character all the time. I'm always worried about it. Do, am I doing this for selfish reasons? Am I working hard enough? Usually the answer is no, but the fact that I even care is a proof that God cares. And that he wants us to know that we'll have good character in heaven, right? He wants us to see what heaven is like. We talk about the fruits of spirit, fruits of the spirit. You know, the two that I see the most is, are peace and joy. Um, 
you know, we could go around the whole list, but even before we, we saw that there would be peace and joy in heaven, there would be no sorrow and sighing will flee. But he's not saying that like you will be anxious until heaven, until Christ returns. Or that you'll be downcast until heaven. No, like he gives us opportunity, like he gives us peace and joy now. He gives us glimpses of what that peace and joy is like. It's so cool to see supernatural peace when, when someone loses a family member and they aren't despairing. You know, I know, like, that's a common thing in the world to lose a family member and then people just spiral. They put all their hope in this person and now they're gone. And they, they spiral out of control. They, they lose their job or they lock themselves in their room or whatever it is. And as a Christian, God gives us peace for things like that. You know, sure, we're, we're downcast sometimes, but not all the time. You know, I, like, the example I always use is I was an RA at Wright State, and what that means was I was a, like a glorified, you know, teacher's pet party thrower guy. I don't know <laughs> what RAs are even there for, but... Uh, <laughs> It was a fun time. We had a, a meeting of all the RAs and, and our supervisor um, had us do this, like, you know, personal health thing where, like, she gave us all mugs and we were supposed to write everything that was stressing us out on the mug, right? And so I write, like, at that time, my car had just, I just totaled my car. And so I was like, yeah, I'll write that down. That's a little stressful, <laughs> right? And then that was pretty much it. I was done <laughs> two seconds later. And I, we were there for half an hour as people were like, I've run out of room on my mug. Like, I need a new mug, right? And then, so we're supposed to take these mugs to de-stress where we were going to break them, Right? as a symbolic gesture that we're letting go of our stress. And I'm like, okay, here, like, that seems like a waste, but fine. <laughs> and I kid you not, there were people there who were like, I just spent all this time writing these down. I can't give you my mug. They couldn't let go of their stress in such a simple gesture. And I was like, wow, that, that's not me. I'm not, by personality, someone who's just so easygoing. Uh, that's totally a God thing, that I had had God, practice of God's peace my entire life. And that's what, what the, when you can see the kingdom of God incarnate on earth, is moments like that. You know, he also gives us spiritual gifts, you know. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people will, will see how awesome and powerful spiritual gifts are. And they tend to make that the chief end of being a Christian. Or they want to, right? 
Because it, it, it's such a powerful experience to experience these things. I mean, you're encountering God. And if you don't know to attribute that to God, you're going to make these an idol as well. Just like anything good in our lives. I've seen good Christian parents who've made their children an idol. I've made an idol of lots of things in my life. Right? So we can make an idol out of every good thing because we're wicked people. We're idol makers. That's what we want to do. We want to ask for a king as long as it's not God. We're always asking for a king. But always evil kings. Right? The ones that Maybe not inherently evil, but they, they don't stack up. They are not capable of being king. So we see these spiritual gifts, the gifts that are supposed to point back to God. And I see them as a, a first fruit of heaven, a glimpse of heaven. You talk about the gift of healing, and that's a glimpse of our, our renewed or glorified bodies. He's like, there will be no sickness or death in heaven. When he heals us, that's what he's showing us. When we hear prophecy, we're saying like, oh, we're going to be hearing from God's mouth in heaven. Every day. How cool is that going to be to not have to wonder? Or to, you know, just to be so intimately close to God that he's speaking to us directly. You know, what's happening on earth is, is not just a restoration of the garden. It's going to be even better than the garden. We're not just going to meet God in the evening. We're going to be in his presence, hearing his voice day and night. In fact, there won't be a night. It'll just be day. It'll just be him speaking to us. It'll, there will be no need for the moon and the sun and the stars because he, the light will shine forth from him and we'll hear his voice. Even speaking in tongues, imagine like we don't have words to describe him right now or to, to describe what he's laid on our hearts, the depths of our being right now. And so he gave us tongues. But I guarantee you, like, we'll fully understand what we're praising God for and, and asking God for in heaven. We'll be able to communicate back to him all that we're feeling and experiencing and desiring. So they're just glimpses of heaven. And chiefly, you know, the chief thing of praising God, glorifying God, is another thing that we're going that we get to experience here on earth. When we come up, when the worship team comes up here, I don't want you guys to to look at them and be like, "Ah, oh, it's we have to stand again," or, "Man, I really wish we had like." an extra instrument up there like why aren't they using my favorite instrument the banjo or something or the accordion I don't know like what are, you know or that sounds too much like rock like man I prefer hymns like that's not what it's about Amen. yeah <laughs> it's about worshiping God and glorifying him that's what it's about and so when, we, when the worship team comes up here, 
and we all begin to worship God, it's something we should treasure. We get to encounter God in a way that a lot of saints of old did not get to before Christ came and sent his Holy Spirit. That's such a cool thing. If you're not stoked about worship, you will not be stoked about heaven. It will not be fun for you. Because <laughs> guess what? That's it. That's all there is. It's not 30 minutes of worship. It's eternity of worship. And I know, like, I'll be the first one to say, in my flesh, I'm not always excited about worship. But that's my flesh. Right. My flesh isn't going to heaven, right? <laughs> it, it wouldn't last in the presence of God. It wouldn't last seeing the face of God. My flesh wouldn't. But we get to experience God today. How cool is that? So it's not about just the, the character building. It's not just about conviction or peace and joy or healings and prophecies and speaking in tongues. Those are all great gifts of God. They're visions of heaven that show us the greater vision, the king. If they don't point back to that, then they're useless to us. So we'll talk about the king, and I'll start speeding up here a little bit. Um, he rules over his kingdom. That's who the king is, right? But we go back to Psalm 103, and it's the Lord who establishes his throne, and it's his kingdom that rules over all, Okay. What I want to get across here is that the kingdom is, it is inherently like the king, okay? We could even go back to the house example here. Um, you, you, unless you have like total lack of personality and stuff, which even I guess comes out in it, but when you move into a house and you decorate it, it looks like your house, it's not just some random house that you're decorating. It's a house that reflects you and your character. Okay? You go to my house right now, you'll see that it's pretty messy because I'm a pretty messy person. <laughs> okay? That's a part of who I am. <laughs> but you also see, like, one of the things that, you know, me and Christiana wanted the most for our wedding was uh, a record player because we enjoy music. That's a part of who we are. We love music. There's a piano in our house. Because that's, that's a part of who my wife is. You know, there's pictures of us all over the wall because we don't have kids yet. So, <laughs> I mean, I, if, if you guys give me pictures of yourselves, maybe we'll put them up on the walls too. But, <laughs> but it reflects who we, who we are, right? You go to Greg's house, you get a pretty good idea of who him and Catherine are. Right? 
any person's house and you feel really like this is their house. You can even get a sense of the spirit in their house. And of course that lovely, the, the smell of someone's house. It'll, you smell that somewhere else and you'll be instantly transported back to their house. Probably not literally, but figuratively, right? <laughs> but it reflects the king. The kingdom reflects the king, okay? So your house reflects you. One of the, a theological term here um, that I searched really hard for last night, and I don't think this gets the full idea, uh, but there's this idea called God's blessedness. And it says that God delights fully in himself and in all that reflects his character. Now, if you want that definition, I found that in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. So if you, you want that one, that's where you can find it. But he not only delights in himself, but everything that reflects his character, which is heaven, which is his kingdom, which is his people, and when he's ruling over his people, he delights in that. When we experience the fruit of the Spirit, or spiritual gifts, or repentance, or all of these, you know, I didn't list all the things that God gives us as Christians. I, I would have been here all day, and maybe tomorrow. There's so many things that he gives us that are there reflecting his character because he delights in us. So heaven is, is like him. So inextricably intertwined. I've got a cool diagram here for you. Excel made this super easy. Um, well, not Excel. This is PowerPoint, whatever. Uh, Microsoft. <laughs> it made it super easy, but... You got two ideas here, right? I might even get the laser pointer out here. All right. The root, God, right? Um, John Gray talked about Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel, and he, there's an, uh, I don't remember if this was a prophecy he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. I think it was, uh, of, of a tree whose axe was laid at the root. And what he's saying is like, first the king will die, and the kingdom will follow. You kill a king, and the kingdom, you know, unless someone fills his place, it, you know, we talk all the time about Nazi Germany, and you can't talk about Nazi Germany unless you talk about Hitler, Right? Like, it was a reflection of who he was as a person. Evil and bigoted. Not concerned about God's image bearers. Or you talk about Stalin or, or Mao Zedong in China. His, you know, a China, communist China who was, whose dirt poor people were starving. Tens of millions of people died in communist China in the mid-century, last, last century. And it was because of his character, and he was in charge, right? And we talk all the time about wanting, you know, 
politics and things like that. Um, and a lot of us, you know, we think through it and we're like, well, here's the answer. We just got to change who our president is. And I'll tell you what, there's not one righteous person on earth who is fit to be king over your life. Not one. No one is going to do a good job that is truly going to care for you, love you, show you peace and joy and repentance and all these other great things. There is no man, woman, or child on earth who is fit to be king except God. And if you're waiting for the, the government or the state to be your savior, they're going to fail you. First Samuel 8 says this. If you want to turn with me there, that'd be great. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you because it's pretty long. And I'm running out of time. First Samuel 8, starting in verse 7, it says this, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you, should, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And Solomon goes on to tell them about what kind of king would reign over them. It's seven? Oh, Samuel. Yeah, sorry. Samuel. Sorry. First Samuel. And Samuel tells them about what kind of king they're going to serve. An awful king. A king who's going to enslave them. And I encourage you to read through that section on your own time. And think about what kind of king you want. And know that, that God himself is like, this is what any king or God will be like, that's not me. And, and Samuel tells, all, tells these people all this, and they say, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. There already was, guys. that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I was, uh, I was between two, two ideas for a sermon today and one of them was that Christ is the one that goes out before us in battle. No other king's gonna go out before battle and win. It's, it's gross to hear these people who have been saved time and time again by the God of heaven 
and they reject him and rebuke him. And isn't that what we do all the time in our hearts? We reject the spiritual authority over our lives. We reject his word. We come across a passage that's really hard for us to wrestle with, and we choose to ignore it instead of be changed by it. And then I love this. Isaiah. Le- Just read all of Isaiah 11 as well, um, on your own time, of course. <laughs> but Isaiah 11, 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So if you think I just made up this lovely diagram, I must admit I got my inspiration from Scripture. But, you know, it's talking about Jesus Christ. And and Jesus Christ right now, he is operating under the authority of God. So if we talk about God as king, we're talking about Christ as king as well. Okay? It's an important thing to understand. He's operating under God's authority. So we can't have the fruit without God. There's no kingdom without the king, the good king. And we can't have God without his fruit, right? This is another thing I want to encourage us with, right? So there's a lot of people who like to put his gifts first, his fruit first. You can't do that. You've got to seek God. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't expect the fruit to come along with it. He is such a good God. He's the epitome of a healthy tree. You know, there's talks of, of dead trees that get caught up and thrown into the fire. He's the opposite of that. He is a tree that will cover the whole earth. A tree of life. Mark 16, 19 through 20. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I love this verse, these verses. If you start at 15, it lists some of the signs, okay? It's beautiful. It's saying that the primary thing here is the message that God is king, that Christ is Lord. I think in the, in the Gospels, kingdom is mentioned like a hundred plus times, but only like 20 times in the rest of the New Testament. What do they replace it with? Our Lord. <laughs> Christ is our Lord. Christ our Lord, right? It's replaced with not the, ki- the kingdom, the focus on the kingdom that Christ had changes to the focus that the apostles had, which was on the king himself. And they knew his kingdom would come after. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We, can't, we cannot enter into the presence of God and not change. That's going to happen. It's bound to happen. We're, it, 
That's how God set it up. So a couple more verses in conclusion as we, we end. Um, Matthew 6.33 is really the crux of this. And we talked about it last time I preached. But it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I'll tell you what, if, you're, if you delight yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart will be his desires. So I want to encourage us all to seek the Lord and to seek him diligently, to delight in him. But I also want to encourage us all to expect the fruit of heaven in our lives. Expect it earnestly and treasure your encounters with God. Treasure these opportunities to worship with the saints and to hear God's word. Don't look at it as an obligation because that is not who, who God is. He's not an obligation. He is a gift. Amen.